Well, good morning, church. Great to see you here today. And I got to tell you, I was just looking here out into the kind of the dimmed lights, and uh, you guys look really good out there today. So turn to someone near you, and even if you have to be overly optimistic, look at them and say, you know, you look pretty good for a Sunday morning. Do that, would you? You look pretty good. You look pretty good. In fact, I'll tell you this, if you're watching from home, you look exceptional. You look exceptional today. Glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, want to invite you, take them, turn to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, as uh, we continue a series called Alternate Endings, and it's kind of a what-if type scenario, like what if things had gone differently, or what if different choices had been made? How could the story have ended differently? And today, I realized, right before I was getting up at, before the first service, I realized I've kind of picked the top three of kind of the bad people in the story of Jesus to, to focus on, and that's, it wasn't intentional. When we were getting ready for this series, I had about eight or nine different focuses, and then I always hone in about 10 days in advance and start working toward it. And I realized the first week we focused on Pilate, not exactly a, a great person in the story of Jesus. Then we focused on the Pharisees, and today we're going to kind of take the granddaddy of them all. We're going to focus in on Judas, but not because it's a negative story. To me, it's... It, as hard as the story of Judas goes, to me there is actually a beautiful story woven into it because we see how much Jesus pursued Judas and wanted every opportunity for him to have an alternate ending. And so I, I hope you'll agree with me as we conclude today. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. I hadn't planned on it, but I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to ask you in advance, please do not judge me. Okay, I was young when it happened, and I was, uh, I was in seventh or eighth grade. I think I was around 13 years of age, and uh, I was on the wrestling team, and uh, we were coming home from a wrestling match, and uh, not, not wrestling teams aren't real big, and so just a few of us guys on the, on the bus, and I was sitting in the back with some of my buddies, and one of the guys pulled out a can of Skull. And I'd never had skull before and, and so wanted to be part of the guys. And they're all putting a little dip in their, their gums there. And then we had, a, we had a pop can, Pepsi can. We're passing it around the back. Todd, you're looking at me because you remember this era, right? And, and uh, we're all spitting in the can, spitting in the can. I'm man, passing that thing. I'm spitting in the can. And I'm thinking, man, I am perhaps the coolest guy in the world. And uh, I, de I determined that I got to get me a can of that skull and put it in my back pocket. You know, at least a nice ring there in the back of your jeans. And man, I'm going to be the coolest kid and it is awesome. And so I made a determination that I'm going to buy some of this. And I knew there was a bunch of local drugstores, but I wanted to go to Thornburg's. And so I asked my mom, I don't know why we were there. I said, Mom, I got to stop by Thornburg's. I got to pick something up for school. You don't need to come in. And so mom pulls in, I go into Thornburg's, I went to the place where they kept that stuff, and I went on up to the counter. I don't think I ever made eye contact with the gal behind the counter, glanced up, had my money out. You can judge her all you want. Don't judge the poor lady. She sold the stuff to me. I took it, didn't even make it out of the place. I put it in that back pocket. It was awesome. And I had that little round thing there. And I went out and I sat in the car, got ready to go. And before my mom even put the car in drive, she said, oh, Phil, 
been meaning to ask you. Have you heard anything about the kids in your school using this stuff called snuff or skull? Have you, have you heard anything about that? My eyes got big as saucers, and I just sat there. I didn't say a word. Reached in my back pocket, pulled it out, handed it to my mom, knowing she knew full well it was in my pocket. Handed it to my mom, and my mom looked at me, and she went, Philip! And anytime Philip comes out of your mouth, and she started laughing, and she said, Philip! Be sure your sins will find you out. That's all she said. Found out. We have laughed about that story so many times. My mom had no idea. She, she had no idea. She had been thinking about it for like two, three weeks and just never thought to ask me. And you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh man, do I believe in the Holy Spirit. I never bought another can and I never got that cool ring in my pant pocket. It never happened. And now you're saying, why in the world would you share something like that? Because it is really hard to walk in disobedience when you've been confronted with it. It's hard. It's one thing, I I believe the devil is a, a, he understands the power of anonymity and secrecy. But when you've been confronted with something, it is hard to then walk down that same path. Judas is one of those guys that what I find so puzzling, and I, I, I got to tell you, I look at Judas so differently. I, over the last 10, 12 years, I've been fascinated. How does a guy who for three years is one of the 12, he, he's called by every gospel author, one of the 12, one of the 12, and I think it's because they're trying to deal with the same reality. This wasn't some stranger. This was not some guy. This was not Pilate. This wasn't the Pharisees. They didn't know Jesus you know Jesus. You're watching him. You're seeing him. He has expressed grace to you. You've watched his miraculous intervention. And then Jesus gives him all these opportunities to, to take a different path. And he still walks in that path. How does that happen? And today it isn't, it's a sad story, but it's actually a story of grace because Judas had so many opportunities to make a different choice. Now, in Matthew chapter 26, we see the first encounter that Judas had to ignore. And what he had to ignore was just simply Jesus confronting his spirit that was going adrift. It's it's, it's actually recorded in every gospel, but it's interesting. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of a man named Simon the leper... A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and while, they, while he was reclining at the table. Then the disciples saw this. They were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now John names the disciple who was indignant. It was Judas. He says Judas was the one who spoke up. Judas was the one who was indignant. And oh, by the way, John says, it wasn't because he was a good steward or even wanted to give the money to the poor. He liked to help himself to the coffers now and then. That's why he objected. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus says, why are you bothering this woman? John says he rebuked him. 
Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Watch the very next thing that happens. Three gospel authors, they all say the same thing about it. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand them over to you? They counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, why did I emphasize that? Because it seems to me, now we don't know for sure, but it seems to me that Matthew, Mark, and Luke want to make sure that you understand that his agreeing, uh, his agreeing to betray Jesus, his final decision to do so, came immediately after the anointing that took place. And what happened at that was that he objected to Jesus allowing this money to be squandered and Jesus confronted him. He rebuked him. And I believe that Judas was offended in his spirit. Isn't it interesting when you are confronted with a, a wrong attitude, you can reply in two ways. You can realize, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry and you can step away from that attitude, or you can double down and be offended that someone would have the audacity to call you out on it. It's interesting, when I was reading this story this week, it actually reminded me of another story in Scripture of a guy who was going to make a fatal decision, and God didn't want him to, it was Cain and Abel. Do you remember back in the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, Cain was upset because God kind of corrected him on his offering. We could talk about why in future days. But it's interesting, he was downcast. He was upset because God rebuked him, so to speak. And it's interesting, the Lord looks at him and says, wait, wait, why, why, are, you, why are you so downcast? If you do what's right, I'm, I'm going to be very pleased with you. And then he said this, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to master you. You must master it. In other words, Cain, if you keep going down this path, if you let your attitude keep following into action, you're going to do something that you'll never recover from, that you're going to regret. We know he took his brother's life. We know that Judas, and it's like Jesus was doing the same thing. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not correcting you. I'm not addressing you because I hate you. I love you. And we could conjecture, well, wait a minute. If Judas didn't betray Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. I don't think Jesus cared one bit about the arguments you and I are going to have today at some coffee shop about what if. I think Jesus cared so much about Judas. He said, Judas, don't do this. I'm watching a slide take place in your life. You're drifting. And it's starting with your attitude and spirit. Don't ignore it. The second one we see, we have to flip to a different passage, but it's the same story. It's found in John chapter 13. If you have a note sheets, it's actually right there for you, or your app, you can find it there as well. And it's as they are gathering together for the Passover feast, which we know now, as he gave it to us as the Lord's Supper or Communion, 
They hadn't yet served the meal. They're gathering together, and here's what John says, John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So John says, I want you to understand, there's only one reason this took place. It was so that Jesus could show how much he loved them. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 11 says, Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the evening meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash all the disciples' feet except Judas, who would betray him, Peter, who would deny him. By the way, your Bible doesn't say that, does it? Look it up. If Jesus could only wash the disciples' feet who wouldn't leave him, betray him, or deny him, he wouldn't have had any disciples left. They all betrayed him, they all left him. They all denied him in one way or another. No, it says he washed the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We see Jesus' interaction with Peter, knowing Peter was going to deny him. We see that interaction. We don't see the interaction with Judas. We don't know what was said during that moment, but i got to be honest with you. I kind of wonder as Jesus washed Judas' feet, what Judas was thinking. Because he had to ignore an exceptional act of love. I grew up in a heritage that practices foot washing. I remember my very first time, I was 16. It's very humbling to wash somebody else's feet. Frankly, it's even more humbling to have them wash your feet. What was Judas thinking? Many, if not all of us, have gone through some kind of betrayal in our life or had somebody who has has hurt us, but most of us haven't had an opportunity to do something so exceptionally humbling knowing they were going to do it. But Jesus did. And I can't help but wonder if in that moment Jesus is simply saying, you don't, you don't have to do this, Judas. You don't have to do this. You haven't stepped over the cliff yet. You, 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 you made, your intentions were there. You don't have to walk down this trail. And then Judas had to actually ignore Jesus specifically calling his sin out. 
Go back to Matthew chapter 26. You're going to notice what it says in verse 20. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table because that's how you would eat in those days. You noticed it back in Bethany as well. You would sit on pillows. The, the way you would do meals in those days is it was almost like head to chest. You would lean against each other. The Passover meal was, wasn't something you did in the general public. It was, it was actually something that was only really with people you knew pretty well. It says Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad, and they began to say one to another, well, surely not I. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl will betray me. Now, by the way, the reason they all said, surely not I, is because none of them had any idea it was Judas. They didn't, they didn't know who it was going to be. And so they couldn't imagine anybody in their midst being one who would betray Jesus. And so they started to ask, well, I hope it's not going to be me. I mean, they, they didn't have a clue. So good was Judas's hypocrisy, so well had he hidden it, that they had no clue it was him. Finally, it says, Jesus said, the Son of Man will go down just as it is written, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him had he not even ever been born. And then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, well, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said, yeah, it's you. Okay, it's one thing when he confronts your spirit. It's another thing when he does something beautiful for you. But when he looks right at you and you say, you say, well, it couldn't be me. And Jesus looks right back at you and calls out exactly. And by the way, you probably ought to go and do it quickly if you're going to do it. John says Judas left and it was night. And I've always wondered why it says that. Like, we don't know it's night. We know it's Passover meal. It's evening. We know it's night. I always feel like John is saying that, that when Jesus went out of the room, there was like this cloud that came over the whole spirit. I don't know that. Just the thought. And then we actually see one more opportunity that Jesus gives to Judas. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives. He's praying there. Now Judas, he knows where they're going to be. That's why he left, because they had been there a couple of times before. They, he knew where the... So he figured out, okay, this is, where, this is where I can turn him over because I can go get the Pharisees and I get, get the Roman guards and all those guys, and we can go, and I know exactly where they're going to be when this is all done. And it says in Matthew chapter 27, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, while he was still speaking, Jesus... Or Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, which means it was Roman soldiers and it was, it was temple police. Temple police weren't allowed to have weapons like swords. No Jews were allowed to have swords. Swords only belonged to the Roman soldiers. John said there was a whole regiment of them, as many as 600. So they're coming with torches up the Mount of Olives. And I want you to understand this. The Mount of Olives looks down over the Kidron Valley, and then it goes up to Jerusalem. And it's really dark. Go out in the country when there's got no light showing. It gets dark. And so they're up there, and they see these torches 
perhaps hundreds of them coming up over the valley. And it says, um, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one that I kiss is the man, arrest him. Now that doesn't sound like it makes sense to us because you're going, well, why would you have to kiss the guy? Everybody knew who Jesus was. Yeah, but it was dark. And these guys are coming up. That's the reason they have torches and it's really dark. And so he has to figure out a place where they can arrest Jesus that the crowd won't see him and somehow intervene or cause a riot. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. The word for this, I never knew this until this week when I was studying it. It's the exact word that is used in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal's father kissed the son. That word is kata uh, phileo. It, it means to kiss over and over and over again. It's a beautiful thing when the father does it with the prodigal son, but when Judas does it with Jesus, it's just for show. Luke says Jesus looked at him and said, Judas, are you really going to betray the son of man with a kiss? And I want you to understand, Jesus wasn't asking Judas. He wasn't trying to avoid death. He wasn't even trying to avoid being arrested. He, the reason I told you the whole makeup of the Mount of Olives and the Kidron Valley, if Jesus wanted to avoid arrest, he could have avoided it way before this. He would have seen them coming from at least a mile away. If you just go to the other side of the Mount of Olives, you're on your way to Bethany. He could have slipped away. Nobody would have seen him. Jesus didn't say that to Judas so that somehow he could avoid his fate. He said it to Judas so Judas could avoid his fate. Don't do this. And Scripture says that in verse tw uh, chapter 27, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I've sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, well, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. By the way, that's the quality of their spiritual leadership. They didn't care. So Judas threw the money into the temple and he left and he went away and he hanged himself. Luke adds in chapter 1 of uh, Acts that Judas, whether the branch broke or the rope broke, but he fell headlong into the field and it tore open, his intestines came out. And so that's the end of Judas. And I know some of us are saying, yeah, what if Judas hadn't made any of those decisions? But the, the question that really leads me on this one is, what if Judas had simply waited until Jesus rose from the dead? Now, I get it. They, they, none of them knew that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. 
But could Jesus have forgiven him? I mean, Peter was forgiven. Peter was restored. Couldn't Judas have been? And I want to share something with you that Jesus pursued Judas to the very end. And in every one of those instances we just mentioned, he gave him an out that he didn't have to follow. Any change in any of those choices would have changed the story at the end for Judas. But even if Judas had done everything he did, it wasn't too late. I believe with all my heart, and someday, I don't suppose when I get to heaven I'm going to care about some of these questions I'm asking, but I will say this. At some day, I really think we will see how big the love of God is that we would have recognized that had, had he just been there post-resurrection, I think Judas would have had an encounter too. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to Peter. We know from John that he was restored. Jesus appeared to all the disciples, including Thomas, who doubted that he'd even risen from the dead. Jesus appeared to his brother James, who, by the way, they wanted to take a hold of him because they thought he was insane. James then became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. See, Scripture says that there's a, a heart condition by which we can be forgiven. The first one is just brokenness. Brokenness means that I'm desperate. Frankly, you can't fake brokenness. Brokenness is something God does in us. It is a realization that I am absolutely desperate for what only God can do in my life. The second heart condition is humility. And humility, it's dependency. It's realizing it's coming face to face. See, the difference between humility and shame, shame tends to want to hide what happened. Humility faces what happened and deals with the consequences. Judas was ashamed. Tried to fix it. But he didn't humble himself. The third heart condition is confession. And I know you're saying, no, wait a minute, you're creating all these have-tos. No, confession, it's not about the act of confessing, the verbal confession. It's that confession is acknowledging or owning it. This was me. 
This wasn't somebody else's fault. This wasn't, I'm not going to blame anyone. Confession. It's interesting what Scripture says. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It means you are acknowledging, I did this. And then simply it's asking or accepting what God wants to do in your life. These aren't works. In fact, can I just tell you this? You cannot create this heart condition simply by deciding you want to make this heart condition. This is something God does in you. When God brings a godly sorrow and you're broken, when God exposes who we are and you respond by being humbled, that's why Paul says, today is the day of salvation. You can't presume that tomorrow he's going to speak to your heart the same way he does today. The author of the book of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. See, when God moves, we simply acknowledge and respond. And I would dare say this because I have people asking me this all the time because they'll say to me, do you think God could forgive me? And it's not just a person who doesn't know the Lord. There might be some here today, you don't even know what you believe about the Lord, but one of the things that kind of kept you away is you kind of feel like, man, I don't think God could ever forgive me. In fact, you know, I'm amazed that the rafters didn't cave in because I came in the church today. I always tell people, we got really strong rafters. God's really glad you're here today. I find believers struggle with this. I've drifted so far, I don't think God could ever forgive me. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Find any time in Scripture where somebody was broken, humbled, and acknowledged their sin and asked God to forgive them. Find one time he didn't do it. It might be in there. I don't think it is. I can't find a single time. In fact, Scripture says this, the sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord is a broken and contrite heart. It's not saying the right words. It's not pushing the right buttons. It's not repeating the right prayer. It is a heart that is desperate and saying, God, could you please? And God says, now you're ready. Humble yourself before God's mighty hand, Scripture says, and he will lift you up in due season. But it begins by simply coming before him. See, the alternate ending isn't what if Judas hadn't blown it. The alternate ending is Judas blew it, but God could have still showed his grace to him. That's how big he is. And if he could show his grace to him, he could show his grace to you. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm always so in awe of how explicit your word is. And frankly, you show real life. You don't hide warts. You don't hide the betrayals. You don't hide the failures of people who presumably were supposed to be leaders and righteous. Lord, you just deal with it because that's what you do in life. 
None of us get to start from where we wish we are. We all start from where we are. And I'm so thankful your grace and forgiveness meets us right where we are. And then you bring us to where you want us to be. And so, Lord, today, here we are. Earlier, we uh, sang a song and said, this is my surrender. And I couldn't help but just lift up my hands and open them up and say, here I am. This is my surrender. My eyes are closed. I'm assuming everybody else's are closed, but you're here this morning and you don't have all the right words, but your heart is desperate for God to just simply forgive you. Desperate for God to meet you where you are. You just want to open your hands. <laughs> present yourself and say here I am Lord forgive me I don't think I have the right words and frankly my words are going to fall short so I'm just going to say I'm sorry and Lord you've been speaking to me this morning and I'm not asking you just to rescue me and leave me where I'm at but Lord I'm serious I want you to change me and make me who you want me to be I'm desperate for you forgive me I pray mold me I pray bring me to where you want me to be I ask for you to restore me today in Jesus' name. Amen.